right, Mike. Hey, how's it going, man? Good. Thanks for reciprocating. Thanks for having me back on your show. Absolutely, man. Anytime. So we're getting together to kind of talk a little bit about the ins and outs of, of the supplement industry. And as far as all of the people in my network, you're obviously the, the, the wretched point. hive of scum and villainy. It, it really is. It really is. I've used and, that line in marketing just because I think it's fun. I can't blame you. And I, anytime you can use the 79 Star Wars like uh, dialogue in your marketing, you're probably going to do pretty well. But I, this is this is a particular particularly fascinating component of the fitness space to me, because if you look at the money and the dollars that are spent in the weight loss industry, supplements dominates. Like it's, I think by far a bigger driver of, or bigger absorber of money than gyms, personal trainers, you name it. Supplements kind of takes the cake in terms of where a lot of these dollars are going. And because it's such a profitable space, because it's very, I don't want to say easy to get into, it's its hard to do well, but I think it's relatively easy if you have the capital to produce some of these things. Yep. Um, people have had some pretty interesting experiences with supplements, supplement manufacturers, and we know it's a very profitable space. And it draws, like you said, scum and villainy all the time. And I think I want to start by just kind of discussing when you're looking for products, when you're looking for supplements, um, are there some kind of big rock things as a purchaser that you should be a, aware of, regardless of the brand that you're supporting? Are there some just like basic big rock habits or big rock things you should be able to delineate when you're shopping for these things that, that maybe most consumers are completely unaware of? Yeah. Yeah. I... I... There are different ways that that you know we could we could attack that. Let's start with with some of the some of the bigger red flags that just just make it easy to disqualify. I like that a, a company, right? So, for example, if a company if a company uses proprietary blends, big red flag because what that means is for for people listening, if you're not familiar with this, it's where you have a number of ingredients that are included in a blend and it shows the weight of the blend, but not of the individual ingredients. Um, now, some cases there are blends where they do show the amounts for individual ingredients, and they're trying to just get a little bit of marketing pizzazz out of calling it like the muscle maximizer, meat grinder matrix, whatever. Sure, right? sure. I can uh, think but, of them now. So many good ones. But often, often they are not showing you how much is in each ingredient in the blend. They are only showing you, let's say the blend weighs two and a half grams. So there's two and a half grams of stuff in that blend. And there are 15 ingredients in it. To the uninitiated, to use a term that you used offline, um, that that might look impressive. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, this is 15 different ingredients. I mean, it's got to do something, right? But what many people don't understand is that with how the labeling laws work, the proprietary blend is it's the ingredients appear uh, by predominance uh, or, or in predominance by weight, meaning that hmm. there is more of the first ingredient than the second, more of the second than the third. And there is no rule uh, as to how much of that whole blend can be that first ingredient. So, if so the, the first only in- real insight you could grab if you're looking at a prop blend, which is usually denoted by like an asterisk and like you yep. said, some ridiculous title, antioxidant longevity blend, muscle maximizing, yep. you know, matrix. Yeah. You, you you can acknowledge the weight of the cumulative amount of ingredient, and then you might be able to delineate like, okay, it looks like it goes from 
A to Z, whatever A is, is the most, but you still have no idea how much that is. Correct. That, that first ingredient, which might be something inexpensive, mm-hmm. it could be 95% of the blend. Oof. So yeah. So, so let's say it's a two and a half uh, gram blend and it has 15 ingredients and the first ingredient, something inexpensive, let's say it's like taurine, right? Sure. Just an inexpensive amino acid. Oh, that's, that's like two grams of it. And then the rest of the ingredients are are pixie dusted to use a kind of an industry term uh, industry term well, what does that mean for those who who aren't aware because it's it's one of i think the more dubious things we see specifically yep. with how products are formulated and then how products are marketed and i do think that this is something that once i learned like that this is a common practice it really saved me a tremendous amount of money yeah i mean this this one is it's just playing on people's ignorance not stupidity just ignorance we mm-hmm. i was an ignorant supplement consumer at one point i know you were as well we all were when we would go to gnc and uh, you know go to go to the the remember what was in in the back under in the lock cabinet yeah yeah oh and you know you had to get your protein powder and your pre-workout and your post-workout but then you also had to check out the the, the latest testosterone booster or oh, yeah. growth hormone booster or uh biostatin inhibitor an, that yeah was, myostatin that was inhibitors yeah <laughs> anabolic primers all these things right and um so so anyway how, how the pixie dust how how pixie dusting works is it's just referring to a very small amount of the ingredient and so what what companies will do is they will choose ingredients uh sometimes it's ingredients that do have good science behind mm-hmm. them, but you have to use enough. Like take beta alanine. If you look at the research in beta alanine, it makes sense to put it into a pre-workout uh, or citrulline makes yep. sense to put it in a pre-workout. And the key though, is if you look at the literature, you need to have about three to four grams of beta alanine per day. You need to have about six to eight grams of citrulline per day um, to see any benefits. Yeah. Now, if if a supplement company used one tenth of of those amounts, you are not going to see any benefits. Um, you might think you are benefiting from it, right? Just a placebo effect. Maybe even it's um, maybe has has a lot of stimulants like caffeine plus sure. a few others. So so and those are inexpensive ingredients, right? Yeah. And and so what what then the supplement companies what these marketers are doing is they're just playing on people's awareness of beta alanine. Oh, I've heard about beta alanine. That's a good ingredient. Oh, I've heard about citrulline. That's a good ingredient. But they're hoping that these people don't understand how much should be in the products. And totally. the reason to do that is obvious. If if you're unethical, if you're a criminally minded person, uh, it's just an easy way to reduce your cost of goods while still retaining a lot of the marketing sizzle, so to speak. Sure. And I've I've noticed most of these uh, more expensive ingredients tend to be kind of the star of the pixie dusting show. You will often see like expensive to source ingredients highlighted as being in a product. Yes. You know, citrulline is a great example. I know it's not cheap. And so people say, you know, citrulline for massive pumps. And then on the back, citrulline is in a two and a half gram prop blend. And you know, right off the bat, not only is that prop blend not big enough to include an efficacious dose of citrulline, um, it it probably doesn't have an efficacious dose of any one of these ingredients. And so exactly. that's, that's a question that comes up a lot is, how do I know that I'm getting 
the right dosage of whatever supplement it may be, whether it's a component of my pre-workout, like I want my six grams of citrulline, I want my 3.2 grams of beta alanine. I don't know how much magnesium I need though, or I don't know how much zinc I need. How can somebody who's uninitiated go about educating themselves on the efficacious dose of a supplement? Because so many people are looking for supplements that can help with certain things. They're just entirely unaware what forms or what dosages are optimal or ideal. Are there ways in which people can do this research without, you know, running the risk of taking too much or taking an ineffective dosage of something? Examine.com is a great resource mm -hmm. for this. Um, they, they, they have in-depth explanations of, of basically, I mean, any, any supplement that even stuff that I'll come across where I'm like, that's, that's new to me. Yeah. I'll go, I'll go up oh, examine already has a page on it. They're, they're a great resource for that. And, uh, they've done a lot of work to, to make it more user-friendly. Uh, several years ago, it was, it was more for, um, academics. It was more for people who could sort through a lot of jargon, uh, and, and technical details. And you still find all of that on examine, but they've done a lot of work to make it more accessible to laymen, which is smart. I think that was a smart move. Yeah. And so that, I, that, that, that's, that'd be my best recommendation is it's an easy way to, to learn the range of clinically effective dosages. Of I, I, I actually totally agree with that. That's usually where I start. If I yep. hear somebody who is a thought leader or somebody who I think is relatively intelligent talking about a supplement, I'll, I'll use Fedosia agrestis as an example, which I've heard many people communicating recently is a interesting way you can modulate your testosterone. So I was like, okay, let's, I, I've tried Tribulus. I've tried deaspartic acid. I've tried every natural testosterone booster known to man, but I've never in my life heard of Fedosia. And I'm like, I went straight to examine. I typed in Fedosia. And what do you know? They have every single human trial yeah. on Fedosia, all the rodent trials. They even have it easy for you, the layman, or just wherever you're at on your you know, supplement education journey, you can see the actual robustness of the literature based on these small little bars that are not too different from the bars on your cell phone. So if there's a lot of robust literature, you'll have more bars and it will say like, this is a very highly correlated with XYZ. Or if there's like one rodent model, you'll have like one tiny bar and it'll be like, eh, not so sure. So it's pretty easy to parse through before you go and put anything into your body, whether or not this is something you should put in your body. And there's always, like you said, um, some pretty good dosage instructions there as to what's been shown to work um, in humans. And I think it's probably a nice little segue to talking about manufacturing practices for safety, um, specifically like testing, whether that's third-party testing, independent lab testing, things like Labdoor that people might be familiar with. Should people be looking for products that are tested, certified, or have some type of, you know, somebody else has kind of checked that these are legit. Is, is that an, as important as it seems? Yeah, absolutely. Before we talk about that, though, let me just share another big red flag that's real easy. And that is, if a company sells a certain type of product, I think you shouldn't buy anything from them. Mm -hmm. And if I didn't have a supplement company, if I was just a consumer, this is how I'd be thinking. For example, yeah. Uh, branched chain amino acids, BCAAs. Mm -hmm. I get asked all the time. That is our number one most requested product. Sure. Um, 
it, we, we get dozens of requests a week or people asking, why don't we sell BCAAs? It would be an easy way to make money. But the problem yeah. with BCAAs is if you are going to honestly represent the literature, there is no reason to take them. If yeah. you eat enough protein and you know maybe you could find some, some kind of outlier use cases. If somebody does a lot of fast exercise, I understand leucine. I would probably say, why don't you just buy leucine then? Yep. It's cheaper or better. Vegans. Just go, just go with, yeah, sure. Vegans. Um, although I would rather see a vegan work on their diet to get enough high quality protein sure. than supplement with BCAAs. And if it was for the fasted training, I would probably recommend HMB anyway and yep. not go with, with the BCAAs. And so then what, what, what are we left with really is like tasty water. And that's yeah. not a, that's yeah. not a great pitch. I mean, some people might buy them if that was, if that was my pitch, that's it. These things don't do anything really. If you eat enough protein, these three amino acids, you're going to get plenty of it from your protein, but it will make your water tasty. Yeah. Not Which a very, is usually not a very what exciting. it boils down to when you tell somebody like, <laughs> you do realize you don't need that. Well, well, it helps me drink my water. Okay. Then it's expensive crystal light. Thank you. Exactly. Very much. <laughs> exactly. And if that, Hey, if that's what, if that's what somebody wants to do, then that's fine. But that's an example of uh, a product that if a company's selling BCAAs, what that means is they're either ignorant, they, they don't understand what I just said, and they haven't looked into the evidence of, of uh, the supporting evidence for what I just said, uh, or they know that, but they don't care because they say, well, the market demands it and we're just fulfilling a demand. Totally. Um, but I don't agree with that mentality. I think serving people's interests is educating them why they shouldn't buy BCAAs and they should spend that money on better food or better protein mm -hmm. instead of just giving them what they want. Totally. And so, so there are, there are quite a few products like that testosterone booster. If, if a company sells, if they say, if they call it a testosterone booster, I would say, don't buy anything from that company because there is nothing natural. I wish, I wish there were, I would sell it. We, totally. get, asked, we get asked all the time. I mean, it would be, if, if, if I were only in this for money, it would be in my interests to, to sell a testosterone oh, gotcha. booster. But but there's nothing natural that I can really get behind. Mm -hmm. uh, there, you know, take take the aspartic acid an example of something that it looks like the best case scenario is a slight increase for maybe a couple of weeks, and yeah. that's it. Not very exciting. Mm -hmm. And that's the case with with I mean, tribulus is just useless. We know that it does absolutely yeah. nothing. And uh, there are a couple of interesting herbs out there that might be similar to deaspartic acid, but um, at least for my standards of what is a good product, I can't get there on a testosterone booster. Totally. And just because so something I don't do it. causes an elevation, it doesn't mean it's a significant elevation and it doesn't Correct. mean that your money's well spent. Like if it Correct. increases your testosterone 3%, even 10%, even you're not 10%. going to notice it. I mean, when people take steroids, they're not looking to increase their testosterone 10%. They're looking to raise their testosterone to like 1600 nanograms per deciliter from 500, yes. which is going to cause a difference. You yes. can't get anywhere in the ballpark of that, taking every single, you know, possible herb and remedy from everything. You couldn't get anywhere near that. Exactly. And, and you, so let's say you could accomplish 10% naturally and you could sustain that. I, I don't know how you would do that, but let's just say you could, let's say there is something out there. There's not a lot of research on it yet. And it's going to, uh, it's going to pan out. And 
that alone would raise testosterone by 10%. And for, for as long as you're on it with no negative side effects, even that I would, to, because of this point, I, I wouldn't sell it because the, the, the effect size is significant um, in, in that, yes, 10% or it's, it, it is a statistically significant effect size, 10%, sure. but it's not a meaningful effect size. Because like you're saying, if you take somebody who has normal testosterone, uh, let's say it's a guy and he's anywhere between five and 700 nanograms per deciliter, perfectly normal. You increase that by 10%, nothing is going, going to change. Maybe, maybe if he is very in tune with his body, so to speak, I don't know, maybe he'll notice like a little bit more energy, but probably not. He probably yeah. wouldn't even notice that. And there's certainly, a- certainly not going to build muscle faster, lose fat faster, uh, have a stronger sex drive. None of that. Yeah. The, the, there's a substantially better chance that anything you're noticing is placebo. Exactly. Like just speaking from my own lab panels, like I think six months ago, my testosterone, when I tested it was at 611. And then when I tested it two months ago, it was at like 657, which is not a 10% increase, but maybe like a seven or 8% yeah. increase. I'm the exact same person, exact yep. same person, no difference in my training, no difference in my like erectile quality, any of the stuff you would use as a gauge. And, you know, these supplements can't even promise you 10%. So exactly. it's, there's, it's great to highlight the difference between statistical significance and whether or not that statistical significance is actually going to show up in the human body when you're taking the supplement. Um, and, and does it deliver a bottom line benefit? Another, another example of something that I refuse to sell at this point, based on my understanding of the literature is a hydration supplement, mm-hmm. uh, an electrolyte slash hydration supplement, because, um, it would appear after looking into it. And, and I was going into this, actually, I thought there was, cause I wasn't too familiar with the research, uh, until, until I started to think about, should I, should I create one of these products? Very popular. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but then, and, and I'll give a lot of credit to Ross Tucker for, for this, um, in, in really looking at the details, it appears that these supplements are propped up by a lot of bull, bullshit research, uh, paid for by Gatorade uh, mm-hmm. to to help sell their stuff, <laughs> their electrolyte hydration drinks, right? And uh, so that's another example of a product that, in my opinion, if a company sells a hydration supplement, uh, I would not buy anything from them because they either don't know what they're doing or they don't care and they're just in it for money. And you know, I'm actually going to be, I'm going to be adding it probably. I, I want to add it to the store. Um, uh, over at Legion, and that is products we don't sell. Mm-hmm. So I can just make my case for why I don't sell BCAAs, why I don't sell a, uh, a testosterone booster or a growth hormone booster, why I don't sell a hydration supplement, why I don't sell collagen protein, why I don't sell MCT oil. Mm-hmm. I have a I have a list of like ten things that um, I, I I just won't sell because it it would go against my own personal integrity and principles, and it would go against the integrity and the principles of Legion. And I think that, that that Legion is obviously in the minority. There's a few other good manufacturers out there, but most uh, supplement manufacturers, or I shouldn't say just manufacturers, but brands as well, are predominantly interested in maximizing margins. And that oftentimes comes at the cost of product quality. And we, we'd segued a little bit uh, away from it, but I'd like to get back to just talking yep. about product testing, product verification. What should people look for when selecting brands? Like, obviously, 
you know, people are going to be drawn to brands in large part due to influencers, marketing and advertising. And they should be equipped to be able to go like, okay, like I trust this influencer because they make content I enjoy and therefore I'm going to buy their the products that they take. They need to have that additional layer of like, I need to be able to qualify whether or not this company is good. And, and they know the red flags about pixie dusting. They probably know now some red flags as to like, look, if they're manufacturing BCAAs and women's specific pre-workout, like they're yeah. probably full of shit. But what what about product fruit, quality? Fruit and, and vegetable powders. I'll add that one. Yeah. Oh, I got my greens powder and my reds yeah. powder. And I haven't I haven't powder. eaten I haven't eaten a, a fruit or vegetable in three yeah. months, but I take uh, fruit and vegetable powders. It will help with my bloating. Okay. Yeah. Sure, yeah. it will. <laughs> yeah. So, what are we really looking for with regards to testing and product quality? Are there different levels to this? Like, what's the what is the lowest like lowest level that you think is acceptable? Well, if if somebody's working with a reputable manufacturer that has to follow good manufacturing practices, that is going to involve testing. And in some cases, it might be on site. In other cases, it might be with a third-party lab. Um, so a lot of that is is going on, but a lot of companies, they don't talk about it and they don't share test results, for example. And I think that's a mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if you go over to Legion, if you go to any product page, um, somewhere probably three quarters or so down the page, you'll see that you can view the certificate of analyses for all products. And so those are testing results and it's tested for what's in it and what's not in it. So I say there is eight grams of citrulline malate in my pre-workout. Here's a test to prove it that was conducted in a third-party lab. And we update those tests as we test new batches. We also work with LabDoor. I like what LabDoor is doing. Um, and so we are a LabDoor certified brand. And then there are even specific products that we have certified for sport in particular. And we're going to be doing more of that testing with LabDoor just as another uh, another layer of evidence, so to speak. And yeah. in marketing, it's it's a good idea to assume that whenever you make a claim that you have to offer a preponderance of evidence to convince people of that. You should always assume that your prospects, your potential customers are very skeptical that to everything you say, they say, yeah, so what? Prove it. it. Right. And and so that that's two examples of of ways that I prove it. And I, I would love to see more companies doing the same because some companies actually, maybe they're not working with Labdoor, but they they are not doing anything wrong. Um, maybe, well, in this sense, right? Let's say mm-hmm. they're selling a BCA, and I don't think they should be, sure. um, but but their BCAs do contain BCAs, right? It's not just like uh, maltodextrin or something, which you can you can work with shady manufacturers that are willing to do stuff like that. Oh yeah, um, and that um, you, that is illegal, but you know, until you get caught, you, you can make a lot of money, and, and it, it and happens all the time. It does. Oh, absolutely. All the time. I was just reading the other day that I, I won't name names, but there was like a, I don't want to say huge, but like a very popular supplement manufacturer where both of the owners of the company are now in prison for doing. I mean, some- why not? Why not? This is. <laughs> you want to. I mean, I'll it? say I'll say it. It's it's Redcon, uh, Redcon yeah. one. Yeah. And so, I mean, it, 
to like now now they went to jail for what they were doing previously uh sure. just to just to be specific but yes of course you have to wonder what else they might have gotten up to exactly the, the the industry kind of does it doesn't select for these individuals but like <laughs> moths to a flame if yeah. if you want to make money and you don't necessarily want to jump through all these hoops you can you can kind of skirt the rules here and obviously if you're going to prison for breaking the law it's probably not beyond you to maybe you know fib a little bit when it comes to yeah. the supplements and i remember the first time we ever talked i was like shocked. amino spiking yeah, maybe a little bit I, you know? I remember forever getting the muscle farm combat powder whey from costco and being like fuck yeah this is this is the shit it's cookies and cream it literally tastes like cookies and cream and then i was like oh it tastes like cookies and cream because it's injected with trash amino acids and maltodextrin <laughs> and there's probably like zero good quality you know full structured proteins in here yep uh, and so the brands have been doing this for a while but the, the one of the things that really shocked me when i was really learning about the ins and outs of the industry and it was the first time we ever got together and talked was the discrepancy between margins on product sales from company to company and it does cost you as a manu- as a producer something to jump through all these hoops like how does this affect your bottom line as a as a business owner and like to me as a consumer of supplements like i appreciate if a business owner is willing to take a hit on their bottom line to make sure i get better safer products that work and i think a lot of people would probably agree with that they just don't know the t- the degree to which you know the spectrum of like some people go all the way and they take huge hits and some people skip everything so they can maximize profits and they end up in jail so like what what is like what are kind of what's the variance here? What have you seen? Like, give me some examples, some extremes. I think it'd be interesting for people to know how it affects bottom lines. Hey guys, just wanted to take a quick second to say thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And if you're finding value, it would mean the world to me if you would share it on your social media. Simply screenshot whatever platform you're listening to and share the episode to your Instagram story or share it to Facebook. But be sure to tag me so I can say thanks and we can chat it up about what you liked and how I can continue to improve. Thanks so much for supporting the podcast and enjoy the rest of the episode. Yeah, let's just... um let's 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 go p and l right so yeah. so cost of goods like what it costs me to make my stuff sure. is is currently it's a little bit over 60% of revenue okay. um wow. and and so so gross margin so that's um that's just the money that's left over to run the business that's not net that that's just gross margin when you take out the simply the hard costs is sure. probably 39% right now wow. and and uh, for for people um, who are not familiar, maybe with um, the the finances of business, that's not very good. Uh, no, no, not a, not a lot of people would be like knocking down your door to be like, "How are you no. bringing home thirty nine percent?" No, no. If if it were the other way around, that's that's what would get business people excited if they were to see um, gross margins around sixty percent, uh, or, or even. I mean, you'll find I I know of of supplement companies. Um, that uh, I would be even competitors who, whose gross margins are, yeah, probably in the range of fifty-five to sixty-five percent. Sure. And and when you when you think about that number at scale, um, makes a big that, ass difference. That's a lot of money. I mean, think of think of it at revenue of of fifty million dollars, for example, to have a fifteen percent swing. And that goes straight to the bottom line. Now, sure. you know, so now now you're you're adding millions and millions of dollars straight to the bottom line. And uh, obviously, 
it would be it would be an actual business mistake to take let's say to take my cost of goods to to eighty percent. Like you actually can't run a business at that point, and the 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 bare minimum that is acceptable if if you are going to have a healthy business sure. is probably about a forty percent gross margin and we wouldn't be able to make that work if we had to spend as much on advertising as our competitors, which we don't. That's one of the reasons why I can do that. Yeah. Or, or the business, um, it would, it would be extremely unprofitable or it just wouldn't really be able to grow. And then, and then if you go to the bottom line, if a business is, is turning a 10% profit on revenue, that's okay. In, in the world of business, that's just okay. Mm-hmm. 15%, is quite good. 20% plus is outstanding. 5% is bad. Anything less than 5% is like, what are you doing? Right. Mm-hmm. And so currently Legion is in the range of eight to 10% uh, yeah. net margins. And so what I'm trying to do with the finances is, you know, it's a, it's a pretty lean company. There's only like 55 of us, half of them or so part are full-time about the other half are, are part-time. And we, we really try to squeeze as much result out of every dollar because I want to be able to spend, continue spending what it takes to make great products. Yeah. And, um, and I think that my standards of what are great products are not so unreasonably high that I'm actually just being dumb and running a dumb business. Sure. Uh, you know, I think overall, I, I think um, some products are, are, there are, Competitors who have comparable products that you could you could acknowledge uh, that some other pre workouts are pretty premium as well. Sure. Um, and, and then in some cases, you know, with our multivitamin, you'd be hard pressed, I think, to find a, a multivitamin that's as loaded, loaded. as 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 ours. Um, and our our joint product, for example, is a really good formulation that's fairly expensive. And so. Um, that that just that that's just like kind of a broad overview of of the finances and and so how a lot of these businesses run is um, you have a couple of products that you spend some money on that get you a lot of your new customers right mm-hmm. and, and anybody in the game knows that your pre workout and your protein powders are going to get you a lot of new customers right sure. some companies they rely heavily on fruit and vegetable powders sometimes that's the one. Um, it seems like those have a lot of female influencers who really push these and, and, and it's yeah, my bloating and, um, and then, and then also it's, you know, a lot of people who just don't want to eat vegetables. And so they buy into the sales pitch that totally, if you just take one scoop of this a day, you're getting 24 servings of vegetables, you know what I mean? <laughs> and, um, so, so what you do is. If if you want to do it the way that many people do it is you spend some money on a protein powder, make sure it tastes really good. Make sure that whoever you're going after, you are ideally exceeding their expectations of the protein powder, right? Uh, you spend money on your pre-workout and there are quite a few pre-workouts out there, pre-workouts out there that are not cheap, but they're also not good formulations. Mm-hmm. Like I know um, that that these companies are actually spending a fair amount on these products, but they are these kitchen sink formulations that, that more ingredients are not always better. 
because totally. we, ha- we have the dosing that we already talked about, but there also sometimes are instances where there are potentially negative interactions between yep. ingredients like caffeine and creatine. Um, there's an ongoing discussion around that, but I would say, um, I mean, I had on my podcast, one of the, one of the top creatine researchers in the yeah. world. It was a great his position, episode. Oh, thanks. Yeah. His position. I mean, you heard it was like, yeah, there might be an effect here, probably best to separate these things. Sure. Um, and, and, and there are other examples of that where it doesn't make sense to have ingredient B when you have ingredient A. And um, so anyway, you have, you have a couple of products that get you, let's say 80% of your new customers. Mm-hmm. And then, and then what you do is you have all the rest of the stuff to drive profit. So you're okay yeah. sacrificing your profit on acquiring customers, and then you sell them. A lot of times it's pills of any kind because powders have to be flavored. They have to be sweetened. Um, like in, in, in my case, because I use all natural ingredients, I, I spend three, $4 a bottle just on the flavor systems uh, in, wow. in some cases. And if I were to go to artificial ingredients, I could literally reduce that to probably 50 cents per bottle. And Here's think a, about that. That's straight straight to the bottom line. And, and at scale- That's uh, a huge we, amount of money. We sell a lot of protein powder. We sell a lot of pre-workout. I mean, Legion will do probably about 35 million in sales this year. So just extrapolate numbers. You know that's what I mean? a lot. Um, well, as, as far as the flavors go, this is something I've always been curious about. Uh, it seems like every manufacturer starts with like fruit punch and mm-hmm. chocolate. Is this because certain flavors are substantially either cheaper to manufacture or easier to get right? And then some are just really challenging. Like how does that, how does the flavor selection process work? Cause it seems like most brands start somewhere in the neighborhood of fruit punch and blue raspberry for the pre-workouts, yep. vanilla and chocolate for the protein. Is it just because those are so popular or is it like a production thing? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. It's a bit of both. Uh, one is popularity, especially with new customers. Where and and you think about it as a consumer, if you can step into a you know be a customer for, totally. for a minute, if you're going to try out a brand, um, you're probably going to want to choose something that you've liked previously. There's something that's like a safe choice. Yeah. Okay. Fruit punch is a safe choice. It's Can't hard miss. to not. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to not like a fruit punch if it's done well. Right. It's just kind of a berry drink. Yeah, um, totally. Same thing with a chocolate or a, or a vanilla. You kind of know what you're getting more so than a, you know, let's say a cinnamon cereal or a fruity cereal, uh, protein powder, or even, even a chocolate peanut butter. There are yeah. many different ways to do chocolate peanut butter. Sure. Some people like more chocolate. Some people like more peanut butter. Some, uh, sometimes the peanut butter just isn't right, especially if it's, if it's artificial, it could be done well, but, but in some cases it has a kind of a, just a chemically taste, totally. just not very good. So that's the, that's one reason why. And then, and then on the, on the production side of things, you're either working with the manufacturer on the flavoring. They may have a team. Some manufacturers do in-house. Other manufacturers, they outsource to flavor labs. And regardless, usually the team you're working with, they have a lot of experience doing a fruit punch. Totally. Um, they might even have it, especially with artificial ingredients, they, they'll have it probably just dialed in. You know, They'll just be able to take whatever you have and very quickly give you something that tastes really good because they've done this fruit punch uh, 600 times now. Totally. <laughs> and, and they've continued to tweak it and you know they've made it really good. 
Whereas if you want something more unique that they don't have a lot of experience or any experience with, um, a good team will figure it out, but it's going to take them some time to figure it out. And chances are, if they're able to continue to iterate on it, it, it will get better. So here's another interesting question. These are kind of, I feel like we've covered so many of the fundamentals now. I just have like a few quick fun questions yeah, for you about like how it. these things are produced. And this is mostly about supply chain, where products are sourced. Um, and like, obviously with the last three years, you've probably had to deviate and pivot quite a bit, but how does, uh, you know, fluctuations in availability or supply chains or where we get things affect bottom line when it comes to producing supplements? Like, did you notice a big change in the cost of certain products in the last two years? And how does that affect where you get them? Yeah, unfortunately, the price of everything has gone up. Creatine in particular, soaring. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. That Okay, that's fascinating to me because creatine has always been something that I just looked at as incredibly cheap. It's, and easy it to is get not anymore. On. It is wow. not anymore. Is that just a, is it a little bit of supply and demand, but yep. also, okay, okay. So yeah, people want it more and there's it's harder to bake. Yeah, and that and that's that's particularly since COVID, um, because uh, I I'm guessing that a lot of the world's creatine comes from China, yeah, and all of the problems they've been having over there and shutting down ports sure. and so on, and so that's an example of of an ingredient that is very expensive now. Whey protein, whey protein has continued to get more and more expensive. That I have noticed, yeah, inadvertently yeah. just through looking at different protein prices. Like I, I noticed a, a five pound uh, tub of a particular grass fed whey protein was in the ninety dollar range to the point where I was like, "Holy smokes!" I remember when five pounds of whey was forty nine bucks. Yep, yep. Those days are are gone forever. What I'm hearing. Um, on the inside, so to speak, is that over the course of, I, well, this was before what's going on uh, over in Europe, but let's say that that de-escalates or it just kind of turns into some sort of Cold War Part 2. I don't know. Um, Cold but, War 2.0. Yeah. What I was hearing um, at least a couple of months ago is that we should see prices on some things come down from their COVID highs, yeah. but not go not go back to pre-COVID, that everything is more expensive now, more or less permanently. Yeah. Um, so we will find a, a new settling point, so to speak. Um, but 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 that that has gone up and particularly the protein, unfortunately, the whey protein that I use has gone up even more than uh, than the average for, for whey protein, because I use a very specific material that comes from Ireland and there, cows. It, there isn't a huge market for it. I'm yeah. I, ironically, I I'm probably one of the bigger buyers of it in the world, I think, because it's quite expensive to use, Sure, but it's so good. I, I, I just don't want to use anything else because, uh, I know that even if I were to choose something, I mean, if, I, I, if the price doubled from where it's at right now, I guess I would have to. Like, there is a point where the economics don't work for anybody anymore. Um, but, but fortunately, that has not happened. And that our our protein powder, our whey protein powder in particular, gets probably the most five star reviews out of any of our products. People really, really like it, and and especially when they compare it to other all natural whey protein powders, then they really appreciate how good it, it, it is the mouthfeel, the taste. It is good. I've taken pretty much every protein there is. And like, it's good. It's thick. It tastes like a, a kind of like a milkshake and the yep. macros are stupid. Good with not a lot of additives, which is exactly. really hard to do. 
And half of that is the material. If mm -hmm. I switch to another material, um, even if it's also a top tier and it might be a little bit less money only because of like, let's say it's produced in the United States. So they're just, it's a little bit cheaper to, to get into the manufacturer than it is to get it from Ireland. Right. Sure. Um, and it, if I were to, to do that, then I know that a lot of people would be disappointed because it wouldn't be quite as good. It still could be good, but, but people would notice. Yeah. They would, they would, I would have to, I would have to just openly announce and I have to yeah. explain to people this is the change and this is why. And if I can go back to that stuff, I will. But for now, I'm going to have to use this stuff. Um, but, you know, it would be, again, it would still would be a top tier premium way. But when I was originally testing out different ways for that product, so I tried stuff from the United States. So these were all, you could say, like tier one whey protein powders, expensive. Sure. Um, I tried stuff from the United States. I tried stuff from... New Zealand, I believe I tried the stuff from Ireland and I might be forgetting one or two others. And when it was me and just a couple of people at the time, when we tasted the Irish stuff, we were like, this is it. I, Game changer. We, like, Instantly. I don't even, I don't need to try anymore. We're going yeah. with this because I've had enough protein powders over the years. Uh, and to, to understand that this is pretty unique. I mean, even the creaminess and then you That's look at it, you're like zero grams of fat and it, and it, it has a, a creaminess like you're full fat mixing, dairy almost. yeah like you're mixing it with maybe a skim milk maybe even a whole milk yeah it's pretty remarkable mixed in water okay last question for you but yep. before i cut you loose are there any supplements um that have piqued your fancy that you're interested in that you think have a potentially uh bright future that maybe not a lot of people have heard of one or two that have piqued your interest yeah, I think that um, some of the emerging research on probiotics, certain strains of probiotics is is interesting. And we're working on a probiotic supplement. And um, I, I can't take credit for a lot of the deep dive. There are a couple of smart PhDs and you know, sure. in one case, a professor who's, who's helping work on it. Because a year or two ago, the general state of the evidence on probiotics was meh, unless you have GI issues sure. and maybe, but for everybody else, nah, you right? probably poop them out. Might not even stick in there. Yeah, exactly. And, and so that's, that's why I never sold a probiotic because yeah. I was like, oh, that's unfortunate because there's a big market there. Um, but it, 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 it would appear that I can't produce something that I can get behind and sell to people who don't have major issues. And that's, you know, that, 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 that doesn't work if it's only for people who have really bad Sure. GI issues. Um, however, however, with, with, uh, and, and we probably can credit the, the emerging field of just the microbiome and gut research for helping push the probiotic research. Uh, Cause there's a lot of money going into the gut research and some of that has made it into the probiotic space. Sure. And, and so, so now we know that um, in, in the case of certain strains that they're actually you can make a case for supplementing. Now, supplements are, of course, supplementary. We, I don't think we need to say that. Not that, not to say that yeah. any of us, quote unquote, need a probiotic. Uh, however, if we have the budget and we are so inclined, it does appear that certain strains can improve upon a healthy gut, which is pretty cool. Um, similar to that's one of the things I really like about my joint supplement is it's not just for people with bad joints. 
um, a couple of the, the ingredients in there, which uh, I, this is this is a segue to the next ingredient yeah. that yeah, that, totally. um, that that people have heard of, um, but I, I would not be surprised if it's going to become much more popular, and that is curcumin, mm-hmm. uh, which which is found in curry in the pigment for uh, people listening not not familiar with it, and and we know that it's been for for years now it's been known as something that can reduce inflammation in the body in many different ways and in in, in some unique mechanistic ways. Um, but the downstream effects of that are becoming more and more robust. We're like the list of, of potential benefits for curcumin continues to grow as scientists study its use in treating disease, in preventing disease. And so that's one that, again, many people have probably heard of, but I wouldn't be surprised if it becomes a more common supplement over the next couple of years, depending on how this research gets out there. But, um, you know, I, I do see more and more talk about it. And so I, I, I think that's, that's pretty cool. I totally agree. I, I think probiotics is probably the one I'm watching the most closely. And I'm, I'm yeah. pretty fascinated to see how just our general understanding of the microbiome, the intestinal microbiome shifts, how those products are, are formulated. But Exciting stuff, man. I, I want to thank you for coming on. I think we're going to save a lot of people, a lot of money and a lot of problems. And again, there's not a ton of people in the supplement manufacturing space who operate with any integrity, but I've always felt like you were probably the guy who does it the best. And I want to thank you for your time. And guys, if you have not yet checked out Legion, you can go over to legion.com. You can check out using the promo code Danny. I, I, I wish I had legion.com. Sorry. Oh, to, it's legionathletics.com. Yeah. It, it, I, it, unfortunately, legion.com, I, I tried to buy it, but it's owned by a large software company. Oh, that's tough. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and a couple of months ago, they, they weren't using it for anything. It just forwarded to their, oh, to their no. homepage. So I thought, Hey, maybe there's an in here, and and so uh, I was I, I contacted a domain broker, and and we thought maybe 150k would get them interested. Didn't yeah. even get a didn't oh even get a, a reply for that. And so I've learned since then that big companies like that, if it were if I were offering ten times that amount, maybe I would get a reply. So unfortunately sure. for now I'm at legionathletics.com or or bylegion.com legion.com is a shorter simpler. There you guys go. That's where you can find the stuff. Muscle for Life uh is the podcast. Muscle for Life yes, Fitness sir. is your Instagram. I'll plug all this down in the show notes. Again, hey Mike, thanks for coming on. It was nice catching up. Yes, thanks again. Mm-hmm.